Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Between the Lines, the podcast that deciphers the handwriting unfolds faded pages and dips into the details of diaries, logbooks and letters written during this same week, there or thereabouts, in 1943, some 80 years ago. Let's start with a quick recap of the situation. The Allies are focused intently on preparing for Operation Husky, the Sicilian campaign. This also means committing resources to plans that divert attention elsewhere. For example, to convince the Axis powers that, hopefully, Greece would be the target of a forthcoming amphibious landing, this week a group of British SOE agents destroys a railway bridge over the Asopos River. Elsewhere, in the Far East, American troops are landing in the Trobriand Islands, close to New Guinea, and part of Operation Chronicle. Once in place, there was no Japanese resistance. The US Army's engineers then supervised the construction of Kiriwina Airfield, which includes a 2,000-metre coral-surfaced runway, all of the time finding new ways to secure stepping stones for the Allies' supply lines. Meanwhile, back in Europe, Hitler also has an impending campaign launch on his mind, the Battle of Kursk, but he's starting to see some fallout too from demoralised forces on several fronts. The Allies have had some success destroying yet more German submarines, and there's a considerable murmur of discontent as more than 200 German Navy crewmen stage a mutiny in Nazi-occupied Norway, simply refusing to sail. As you can imagine, the protest didn't go unpunished. We'll start this week with news from a man who is happy to be at sea. That's Captain Bertie Packer. HMS Warspite has just had a refit and is sailing southwards. She's off to the Mediterranean. Monday the 21st of June and Tuesday 22nd of June. At sea, scapper to jib. The sun came through and we made a fine showing. Four battleships, two aircraft carriers and 14 destroyers. Hard at it all the time. It is wonderful how quickly one attains cohesion with a number of stranger units. It is because the fundamental tactical training is sound and universal and is known to us all. Wednesday the 23rd of June. Through the Straits to the Rock. Last ship to enter but made the best time. 
44 mins from passing the breakwater, turn and make fast alongside detached mole. Secured by 2230, then Rear Admiral Bissett, etc. came aboard. The most inconvenient time. Baron Bissett has changed little. He is fat, paunchy and slow in his speech. He has a good head on his shoulders, mind, and we should make out all right. But I made it clear I want breakfast alone. We are a fine target for German aircraft. Last time I was here two and a half years ago in the Manchester, it was aircraft from Vichy, North Africa that worried us. A preferable change. Thursday the 24th of June. In Gibraltar. Sent Mum a telegraph to South Africa for her birthday. Although I don't know the date, I guess it will be acceptable. Friday the 25th of June. Went ashore for a walk each day. Every street simply crowded with soldiers, sailors, airmen of all nationalities. Although it is the orange season, they cost five pence each. All the admirals and captains of Force H dined in the Nelson. The guest of honour was Mason McFarlane, the governor. The next night we dined at Government House with the governor. Enjoyed the latter, except for the pipers of the Royal Scots. Uh, pipers are grand in the wide open spaces, but hell in a dining room. Sitting on my left was a Group Captain Simpson. On my right, a Major, Quail, ADC to HE anyway. I knew him by sight and racked my brains. Suddenly, it struck me, and I said to him, Please don't think I'm mad if I'm wrong. But were you Henry V? To my absolute relief, he laughed. Yes, he'd played Henry V in Athens in 1938. Damn good Henry he was too. He chatted about all the illustrious visitors who'd been in over the last two years. The German General von Arnim from Tunisia, before going off to a prisoner of war camp in England, for example. To make conversation with the general, the ADC had pointed at his life jacket and said, We call it a May West. May West? May West? You mean Schwimmvest, said von A. ADC explained the reason for calling it a May West with great detail, and when at last he'd seen the joke, von A roared with laughter and went round explaining it to the prisoners. ADC said von A was a type he'd never met before. Generations of soldiers, not particularly interested in Hitler or the war in general, but pleased because, in their opinion, they had fought and surrendered according to their code. The old German army code. The professional fighting man's code. Said they'd have been just as upset if they had not surrendered properly as they were at losing the contest. Sort of medieval, he said. It's interesting how that notion of a deeply-seated culture can have an impact on operational, tactical and strategical operations. Fighting to the old German army code. Believing in the professional fighting man's code. That's how Bertie's ADC described General von Arnim's way of thinking. Arnim was born in 1889, so he was definitely one of the old guard. Someone else who'd lived and fought through the First World War is Colonel Dr. Wilhelm Mauss. At 43 years old, Mauss is using all of his previous experience to try and preempt what might happen over the next few weeks. He's currently near Casino, to the south of Rome, with the 14th Panzer Corps. We join him as he's making notes about impending troop movements and reflecting on the stark contrast between a nation that's already seen its fair share of devastation and a scenic countryside that somehow seems to still avoid the war. 19th June 1943 
Casino. What is going to happen? There is quiet on our fronts everywhere, a certain calm before the storm. Troops are being concentrated and preparations being made everywhere, but it is not clear what the English and Americans actually intend. Everything points to a big event. We like to assume that a Russian attack will start in the east and south, while a British attack will start in the southeast. Maybe there will also be attack on Norway. Hard months will lie in front of us, and we shall have to grit our teeth. But if we succeed in coping, then the war can be regarded as victorious. Even here in Italy, we do not see this as a negative situation. The Italians are absolutely determined to fight, but they just do not have anything to fight with. Because of this, 29th Panzergrenadivision is now moving here. The 3rd Panzergrenadivision will probably join them. SS Leitpikanade Himmler is crossing with Corsica, while the entire Hermann Gröhing division will move to Sicily. There are all elite forces here, so it will go well. Yesterday evening I spoke to the adjutant of the 29th Panzergrenation Division's doctor, a man named Oberarzt Schiller. The division will bring at least 30 ambulances with them, so I have no worries there. I'll get at least 8 ambulances for the 16th Panzer Division. 23rd June 1943. Casino. We now have a dentist here. My only big worry is the lack of mobile Fellazeret. In case of need, I do not know where I go with the wounded. 16th Panzer Division has made a request for the assignment of Fellazeret. I relayed this in the chain of command. Maybe you would be successful. I need Lazaret for immediate deployment, not after some time. While there is still quiet on the land fronts, the Auraria wars continue on its most evil form. The English attack German cities in the west almost daily and destroy much. They suffer high losses, but they also inflict severe damage on us. I worry about my family. 15 June 1943 I went to Amalfi today. Scenic ruins and the remains of pirate castles. The houses gleam white and brightly here, glued onto the mountain of growing directly out of it. Lemons grow on the ledges and wine grapes are everywhere and flowers wind around the houses, red and pink, white and blue. A symphony of pleasure. Amalfi rises from the sea and loses itself in the mountains with its houses, villas and monasteries. On the hills behind is Ravello, where Wagner found the magic garden of Klingsor. One would love to stay here longer, but another few hours drive and we are in Casino once again. A deep darkness now enriched with a cultural experience of the most wonderful sort. Right, let's leave Dr. Mouse reflecting on the beauty of the Amalfi Coast and briefly head back over to North Africa to see what's happening with the 56th Heavy Regiment in Algeria. I say briefly, he may be getting some much-needed downtime at the moment, but RSM Jack Ward won't be going anywhere for a while, and he's not very happy about it. 28th of June. Still here, and from what I can see, we'll be here a lot longer. Very hot today. Insects are attacking. We do no work still from 12.30 until 5.30pm. A lot of equipment going up towards Tunis. I expect a showdown any minute. Crete, I wouldn't be surprised. Saw Desert Victory on Saturday. <laughs> Very good. Poor old Jack. He does get right to the point, though, doesn't he? Someone else who doesn't mince his words is Major General Oscar Griswold, with the US Army's 14th Corps out in the South Pacific. Over the last month, the Japanese have worked out that the Allies are working their way up the Solomon Islands chain. 
They've started putting more resources into their airfield at Munda, and the Americans have countered by mining the ocean approaches to that same island. Not very successfully, I might add, as the Japanese simply swept them up. However, while small pocket attacks and counterattacks are underway along the whole length of this Galapagos, the Allies do have a focused plan in mind. Planning for the invasion of New Georgia is underway. In the interim, Major General Griswold is still taking notes on the cost of the campaign so far. 19th June 1943. Total casualties killed 25, wounded 29, missing 22. 25th June 1943. Following radio received from Robert Fletcher. Matilda Jr. reported this morning, and all is well. It's a good business, but it seems that little lady, his new granddaughter, is more important than the news occupying the wires with all the official business now going on. He sent it labeled secret. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from Between the Lines in just a moment. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. 
I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Lieutenant Heinz Nocker writes up his Second World War experiences, he spares no quarter. His diary entries are a visceral description of what it means to be a Luftwaffe fighter ace. Some of this is hard going this week. We join 22-year-old Nocker just after he's been celebrating a day's success in the skies over the English Channel. But his good humour is going to be very short-lived. June 25th, 1943. I still feel like death when I come crawling out this morning. We all stayed in the canteen until daybreak. The bar is littered with a whole regiment of empty bottles. We hope this is going to be one day the Yank will leave us in peace, but no. The telephone wakes me up at 0700 hours. Enemy concentrations in map reference sector Dora Dora. I order a fried egg, some white bread and butter. The food is tasteless. For the first time, I do not feel happy at the thought of the mission. There's a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. Is it fear? No. It is indifference. Even a visit to the can fails to bring relief. I spent 15 minutes running up and down the runway, pulling myself together. We take off 44 aircraft in all. The cloud ceiling is at 6,000 feet. We pass through it when we're over the coastline and catch a glimpse of the earth through gaps in the clouds. 15,000 feet, another cloud layer. 20,000 feet, no conversation on the radio. Only enemy positions are announced. 22,000 feet, we may expect to see the enemy at any moment. I check my guns. There they are, the fortresses. At nearly 3,000 feet below us, the chase is on. Our attack throws the Americans into a state of utter confusion. They dodge, turn and dive for cover in the clouds. It looks as though our beehive has tipped over. I have a young sergeant as my wingman for the first time. It may also be his first victory, if he keeps his head down. Durling, you take the one at left, I call to the sergeant. But he keeps flying to the right and does not heed my call. Close in, man. Other side, to the left. Get in, attack. I open fire on a short range. Holds appear in my right wing. That bastard of a rear gunner. He will not leave me alone. Must have a lot of guts. I keep blasting away, concentrating on the rear turret. It disintegrates under the salvos of my cannon. We're between the clouds now, in a deep ravine, with milky walls towering high on both sides. It's a glorious picture. Durling still keeps to my right. Why does he not go after the second heavy bomber? Durling keeps to my right. I lose my temper with him. Attack, you bloody fool! Attack! I'm now in the heavy fire. 
Dorsal gunner on the second fortress is blazes away at me with twin guns. Tracers pass close by my head. Woomph! I feel another hit. I slide open the side window. The first fortress is now on fire, but the two gunners in the second keep on blazing away at me. They're only a hundred feet away. I continue firing. The bastard has to go down, even if it means my own neck. I remain a hundred and fifty to two hundred feet behind his tail. The fire now spreads to his right wing. I wave at Durling. There's a sudden flash in front of my eyes, and I feel my hand slammed violently against the right side of the aircraft. I reach for the stick but drop it again. My right glove is in shreds. With blood trickling out, I grab the stick with my injured hand. I line up the sides of my opponent and empty the magazine in one long burst. At long last, the fortress goes down, falling into tie clouds like a flaming torch. I go down after it, falling as far as the sea. I take the stick in my left hand and find it smeared with blood. Shreds of flesh are hanging from the torn glove. The pain is getting worse. I'm losing a lot of blood. My flying suit looks as if it had been wallowing in a slaughterhouse. How far out at sea can I be? Minutes drag by, and still there is no sign of a coastline. I begin to have a hot feeling. Must be getting lightheaded. This pain. I see an island up ahead. Only seven or eight minutes more. Finally, I'm over Yiva. I spite of the pain. I dive low over the fight dispersal point and announce my success with a victory roll. The mechanics wave their hands and hats like children. And now I need both hands for landing. I grip my teeth. My right hand is completely numb. My ground crew chief is horrified. The chief has been wounded. I'm finally taken to hospital. One finger joint is amputated. The hand will be all right otherwise. I look outside. My car is still there. Young Maya, my driver, has waited. The coast is clear. No one inside. I never could stand the smell of disinfectant. Half an hour later, I'm back at my flight dispersal point. I cannot help laughing. They may be looking for me at the hospital to this day, <laughs> for all I know. Well, that was quite intense. Right, what's called for now is a slight change in pace and a little bit of a brighter outlook on life. I think Corporal Harry Wilson is just the man. Harry, remember, is our young cipher clerk, attached to three corps signals in Syria. He's been at HQ Palestine Command, which, for the last two weeks, has been running schemes in preparation for a beach landing. There's another one coming up shortly, too, but this week, Harry has just a little bit of time to himself. Saturday 19th. Here I am back in the holy city and not feeling any of the holier for it. Interesting concert in the lecture hall. The result of a ballot for the world's ten most beautiful melodies. A lady pianist played Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Ah, those liquid arpeggios and the serene melody that rose and fell among them. Sunday 20th. Left Jerusalem to return to our units. Arrived Haifa at noon and attached ourselves to 5L of sea signals stationed on Mount Carmel in the midst of a pine forest. Took the bus down to town. Haifa is a terrace town and one needs a lot of puff and stamina to negotiate the sidewalks and alleys which are steep and slippy. It's a rowdy place and, like most parts, not very clean. The bars were patronised by British troops and all of them were noisy. 
The Eastern people have little idea of the true Thomas Atkins. They think him rather stupid and pitiful objects, and, were it not for the fact that they mistakenly consider him richer than he is, they would have little respect for him. Of course, Tommy in battle order is an indisputably impressive figure to be feared and revered, but Tommy walking down the streets of Haifa with his hat on the back of his head, singing off the effects of his gallon of beer, and good-humouredly tolerating the sound of the city at the risk of losing the week's wages, pestered by vendors and severely ignored by all respectable women. This Tommy is a distinctly disappointing and vaguely idiotic individual. Monday 21st. Left Hoifer at 11.15am and reported to 9th Army at 8 in the evening. Put up with three company signals whose camp overlooked the amazing scene of Beirut. Tuesday 22nd. Met Captain Hoyle outside the cipher office. We saluted smartly and he stopped, beaming with recognition, and he asked us how we were getting on. We gave him a garrulous account of our adventures and told him about our prospects of becoming high-grade operators. I've seen Captains Leon Tregascus, said Hoyle, and they tell me you are very eager to learn, too eager in fact. You'll both be high-graders soon enough. In the meanwhile, improve your operating as much as possible. I can tell the most important thing in Cypher is educational background. Wednesday 23rd. Now back in Ablarn, the sight of the place has had me in bad humour already. Reported our return to Corporal Price in the administration's office. Sapper Wilson reporting, I began. You're not a Sapper Wilson anymore, he said. You're now a Lieutenant Corporal in signals. So are you, Blackburn. Outside we indulged in mutual congratulations. So I was an NCO in the famous British Army. Well... It would bring the pay up a bit. Cypher NCOs get a shilling a day more than other NCOs. In the evening, I sewed on my stripes. There's no news from Veer Hodgson this week, but we can catch up with the Blythes. Let's hear from Flight Lieutenant David Nan Blythe first. If you recall, David is stationed out in Port Alberta, in Canada, where he's training with the RAF to be a navigator. He'll be in short sterlings for a while. It's been quite intense for him over the last few weeks. He's just finished a whole series of exams. A little R&R was needed, and it rather sounds as though young Flight Lieutenant Blythe has had a pretty good time. 24th June. Dear Ma, I've just arrived back at Port Albert after 14 days of glorious leave. I had an absolute wizard time in Cleveland and Buffalo. It's all over now, unfortunately, but I certainly made the best of it. I made four recordings of piano solos while I was at Buffalo, A friend of Johnny's had a recording machine which did the necessary. I was severely shaken by the results. I sound better than I thought I did. You will hear those recordings one of these days. I'm being posted from here to Charlottetown in a few hours, ma. And right at the minute, time is short. And so, if you will excuse this brief air graph, I'll say cheerio for now. Lots of love to all. David. And we'll finish this week with a few thoughts from Ma now. Julia Blythe, writing back to her son, from the family's home in Edinburgh. 23rd of June. Dear David, Thank you for your aircraft of early June. The birthday greeting was most welcome. These drawings are great, but I didn't think you would remember, as you would be so busy with your exams. Well, son, you have made a success once again, and I know you have looked forward to the day when you would get that wing, and we are all so proud. The Blythe family were all here yesterday to celebrate. I should have to write an ordinary letter and give you all the details, as I have just discovered I have only one aircraft. You did well in photography. 
You were always interested in that. Dad says if we can get a spool that measures two and a quarter by three and a quarter inches by the time you come home, then you can snap us all. I was sorry to hear you and Frank had to part company, but that would happen eventually. I wish him all the best, and I hope you meet again later on. In many ways, I'm glad you are being kept in Canada. Chum up with a steady, sober lad if you can at your next station. Gran and family send their love, as do I. Ma. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We do hope you found a little insight and were briefly entertained as we were reading. Between the Lines. Between the Lines is a We Have Ways production. Julia Mar Blythe is read by Ruth Sillers. David Blythe is read by Matthew Malthouse. Oscar Griswold is read by Michael Lyons. Chester Hansen is read by Lance Fuller. Via Hodgson is read by Rachel Holland. Heinz Knocker is read by Lucas Veschler. Bertie Packer is read by Paul Waggett. Jack Ward is read by Adam Jarrell. Harry Wilson is read by Joel Emery. Narration is by James Holland and Al Murray. Editing by John Gill and Joey McCarthy. Written and produced by Merrin Walters. The executive producer is Tony Pastor. <laughs>